We are going to look today at the series that we've been doing. This idea that, that Christmas was unexpected. And yet for some, as we've seen so far, it was very much expected. Simeon and Anna in particular. It was unexpected. Nobody was looking for this baby who was God to be born in a manger. But actually, there were two that, as we've seen, were absolutely expecting the arrival of the Messiah. They had been looking and waiting and hoping and longing. And it happened. Well, today... We are going to look at this idea of unexpected in a slightly different way. See, do you know the story of Christmas? Hello? Not the one about Santa, right? The one about Jesus, yeah? And most of us think we know that story somewhat, right? But I want to look at it again today and see that there's something a little unexpected about it all. I mean, we've all seen the Christmas cards. Hopefully most of you have some. We have angels and wise men. We've got Mary and Joseph, a couple of shepherds, and some very polite animals sitting around. It's a kind of sanitized picture, right? There is another story, a story within the story that's present at Christmas. The unsanitized version. The one where we recognize that the stable probably stank. That the animals were probably noisy. That Mary wasn't as white as a Scottish woman in the winter. The baby was probably screaming. Because that's what babies do. I despise that Christmas song that says, no crying he made. Because you know what happens if babies don't cry? Doctors freak out and start running about and doing things. Babies cry because that's what they're supposed to do. Jesus cried. It's okay. It's fine. It's real. So we have this unsanitized story. And we have a story also, each one of us. That's why we're here. We have a background, a past, a history. And Jesus is no different. In the Gospel of Matthew, that's the first one in the Bible. There's this really exciting passage that I'm going to read to you. It's about 15 verses, and I'm going to mispronounce loads of it, but we're going to try my very best. This is the exciting bit, right? Are you ready? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. You with me so far? Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, okay. Let's carry on. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. It's a funny name. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Hmm. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Hmm. Okay. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Right. Everybody knows who King David is? King David? He's the one who won all the wars. Best king Israel had, okay? He wanted to build the temple. He wasn't allowed to because he'd been fighting too many people. But his son got to build a big temple in the middle of of Jerusalem. So David, we know him. He's important in the story. 
David was the father of Solomon. He's the one who got to build the temple. Whose mother, oh, wait a minute, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Doesn't even get a name. Okay. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Are we excited? Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. I forgot to say there's a test at the end. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, so they've taken out a great big chunk of time here because they basically didn't keep records when they were in Babylon. But now we've got the records back. So Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. That's a great name, eh? Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Nathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary and Mary was the mother of Jesus I, I didn't write it <laughs> you excited? just about it's a big long list of names eh? but Jesus had a history a couple of years ago, when Prince William was to marry Kate Middleton, the question was, was she of good enough stock? Was she just a little bit too middle class to be queen? The press then went searching for royal blood in her past to somehow make it okay. The Gospel of Matthew, the, if you were just given a New Testament, that would be the first thing you would read when you start the New Testament. Would that make you want to read a bit further? Not so much, eh? <laughs> Not really. But it matters because it starts with Jesus' story, his past and his history. I have, I will confess, used a talk very similar to this before. In fact, the same material. Used to have a title. It was the one about, is any, any Friends fans in here? Yeah, we got a couple, right? So all the Friends episodes were kind of called The One About, right? The, the One About. So this one would be the one about the hookers, the adulteress, the Gentile, and the teenage mother. That's who's in here. And if you think that, if that bothered you a little bit, wait till you hear the stories. I'm, I forgot the younger people were going to be in here when I decided to preach this. So anyway, it's going to be interesting, right? Don't tell your mum when you go home. Right, we might well expect Matthew to be affirming that Jesus was of the right stock. See, Matthew's writing to Jewish people and he's very concerned that they understand that this king, this Messiah that they've been waiting for, is Jesus. So we might think that he's going to take the time, and he does, right? So we get Abraham, the father of all of, Jew all, all of the Israelites, right? So we, we're back to Abraham. We've got King David. We mentioned him, right? He's a cool guy that goes and fights. He, he took down Goliath. Do you know how he killed Goliath? How did he kill Goliath? He chopped his head off. 
Right? So everybody thinks it's because he whirled a thing around his head and not bonked, hit him in the head and killed him. No, that just knocked him on the ground. He went up and he took, his, he took Goliath's own sword and chopped his head off. It's like the horrible histories version of the Bible, right? But it's true. That's, that's what it's in the Bible. So we must not get these things wrong. And it's much more interesting to hear about that, isn't it? Yeah, good. Um, <coughs> so we should expect that we find Abraham and David... And he starts off that way, and it's great, it's really good. But there is a problem. And this is where the unexpected Christmas bit appears. I I love movies, and the best movies are the ones that have a big twist in them, right? Where you think, I know where this is going, and then it turns, and there's something completely different. The Manchurian Candidate might be one of my favourites, but... If you haven't seen that, then fine. You, the Usual Suspects would be another one. You think you've got it all sussed out, and then Kevin Spacey limps off into the distance. Very confusing. The perfect Christmas story, the perfect Christmas card picture is shattered. This is what Matthew does with a background story. Because he mentions a woman. In those days... If you told a story, you didn't mention women at all. If they needed to be in the story, you would change their gender to male to make the, purpose, make the point. It was uncouth to mention a woman. And Matthew doesn't just mention one. He mentions four. These women tell us something of the background story that is woven into the story of Jesus. And I want to suggest, tells us something about who Jesus is. Now, are you ready? Because these women are not ordinary, just run-of-the-mill women. Tamar. I should have thrown the kids out. This is a story in the Bible. And there isn't a more difficult... No, 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 there is one. I don't think I've preached on a more difficult person in the Bible than this. The story is embarrassing even to read. You can read it later. Genesis 38. Tamar marries Judah's son, Er. Er is wicked and is struck down by God. Not having any children was really shameful. And so Tamar's in this place of having to be not only a widow but childless. So what happens is that she's supposed to marry her uh, dead husband's brother. Okay? So this is where for us it starts to get a bit weird already but that's what they did. So Er's brother uh, Onan marries Tamar except he won't make her pregnant. We'll go with that. There's another brother though. I told you this story was going to be tough. This is not what you expected to get this Sunday morning. But it's in the Bible. And it's in Jesus' lineage. There's another brother. So Judah says she will have to wait until he is old enough. But he then deliberately forgets and leaves her in shame and isolation. And so we have a woman who is devastated. She's ostracized by her community because it was seen as judgment to not be able to have a child. She was the outsider. And then after Judah's wife has died, that's the father, the story gets really messy. 
Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law, and gets pregnant. When he hears about this, he says she should be burned to death. But she sends his staff, which he'd left behind, which he had paid her with, and he realizes his own shameful behavior. It's a horrific story of incest, deception, and prostitution. And it's the first woman mentioned in Jesus' lineage. I'm embarrassed talking about this here. These are not words we normally use in church. If you're a visitor, this isn't normal. But it's in the Bible, and it's in Jesus' lineage. It tells us something. Right? If it was shameful for us, I just told you it was shameful to mention a woman, any woman. This woman, this story, is not one they want to remind themselves of. If you're trying to convince people this is the king of the Jews, this is probably not where you start. Except it's exactly where they started. Why? Because the shame that's woven directly into that story is the shame that Jesus came to deal with. And we all have our own stories that are laden with shame. Every family has a story they don't tell. Every family has a little bit where it won't be mentioned at the Christmas table or a person who won't be mentioned at the Christmas table or an incident that would never be mentioned, never mind at the Christmas table, anywhere else. And it's covered with shame. And Jesus says, I came to deal with that. So the first woman is Tamar. It gets easier from here, okay? A little. So the second lady that we have is Rahab. Doesn't get that much easier. Rahab was a prostitute. That's what she did. What's she doing in the story? Well... If we go back to when the Israelites were coming uh, into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, they crossed over uh, (coughs) some of their spies and they went uh, there and Rahab hid them so that they could escape back to the Israelites and tell all about this wonderful land. Without Rahab, they do not take the promised land. Then her and her household are spared by the Israelites when they come into the land. She's actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is this. Does everybody know the idea of a hall of fame, right? Like the best people ever go in that thing. So, who, are you into football? Like football? Who's the best footballer ever? Come on. Who's the best footballer ever? Pelly said the old men. Uh, come on, anyone else? Stanley Matthews said the even older man, George Best. Oh, come on. Somebody had. Messi. Ronaldo. There we go. And Fat Ronaldo was really good too, if you're my age, right? So there was another guy called Ronaldo, but he was fat and. 
but he was maybe better than skinny and fit Ronaldo. Anyway, if we were putting together a hall of fame for footballers, we'd put their names up on the list and we'd have photographs of them and everything. Hebrews chapter 11 is like that, but for all these people who've been super faithful to God. And so we get these amazing names that go up there. Abraham, Noah, all these kind of people that did what, like Noah built this massive ark when it wasn't raining because God told them to. Obedience, faithfulness. Abraham led the people, started the whole people of uh, God. Moses led, led the Israelites out of Egypt. And Rahab, she let some folks stay in her house one night. But she is in the list because she had faith. And so again, a scandalous woman appears in the story of Jesus, but one who was faithful when she couldn't see. She didn't know why she was looking after these people, but she knew there was something she was supposed to do there. Her faith was significant. How many of us sometimes just have to act when we don't really know what's ahead of us? We just have to trust. We have to have faith that God is going to work this out. That's part of Jesus' story. This story is much easier, okay? Much less cringing with this one, okay? Ruth. There's a whole book of the Bible which tells about Ruth's story. The short version, if I was down with the kids, I'd go TLDR, right? You know, you know that? No? Oh. Yeah? Yeah, we got one at the back. And Zoe's cringing, oh, Dad, don't do that. For those of us who are a little older, it's text speak for too long, didn't read. Right? TLDR. So if you ever see that, it's just like somebody couldn't be bothered. So here's the, here's the, the, the TLDR, the short version. She leaves her homeland after the death of her husband in order to travel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Israel. And then through a whole bunch of circumstances and her own kindness, she gets married to a guy called Boaz. There's no blot on Ruth's character. That's good news, right? She hasn't done anything bad. She's not awful. She hasn't done anything that we're going to get uncomfortable and squirmy, like we shouldn't be talking about this in church, kind of like. But she is a Moabitess, right? The area she's from is a place called Moab. And the problem with that is that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Moabites, because of their sin, were shut out of the congregation of the Lord. There was a curse put upon them by God. God's own word shut Ruth out by law from being part of the people of God. And yet... And yet, here she is in the lineage and ancestry of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? People who are supposed to be on the outside are now very firmly on the inside. We shouldn't be surprised. That's the story of Jesus. Salvation comes to those who the law seems to shut out. Salvation comes to those who the law seems to shut out. That's what Jesus is doing. So did you get a little rest from any cringy stories there? That was okay, that one. Because I'm really bad news as I've got another one coming. Uriah's wife. 
the original Me Too. She doesn't even get named. She's just called Uriah's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. One evening, she went to have a bath on the roof, as she was supposed to do. As you're, that was what you did. You went and you bathed in the evening on the roof because that's where they did their bathing, right? They didn't have a nice little shower cubicle, a, wash, a wet room or anything like that. They did it on the roof. Unfortunately, David, remember we talked about David earlier, him of chopping off head and all that kind of thing. David, he was supposed to be at war with his men, but instead he felt a bit lazy because it was getting too easy and they were winning all the time and he'd stayed home when all the men were off to war. And one evening he looks out his window and he sees Bathsheba having her bath. And he decides then that he would like to have an affair with her. And so he arranges to have her brought over. She has no say in this. This is why she's the original Me Too. This is not a consensual relationship. She is brought over... She becomes pregnant. And David makes it all worse. So that was bad enough, right? You're not supposed to do that. But now he decides what he's going to do is knock off her husband. And so he sends Uriah to the very front line and he gets killed. And it's all David's fault. Another shameful circumstance. A shameful circumstance. And the other thing we discover is that, and this might be why she's named as Uriah's wife and not as Bathsheba, is because Uriah has a name. His title is Uriah the Hittite. He's another outsider. He's not one of the kind of people who's on the inside. He's an outsider. And so she would have been an outsider. So not only is is she abused and brought shame upon, but she was an outsider who finds her name in the genealogy of our Lord and Saviour. Incredible. Another shameful circumstance where mercy triumphs over judgment. Now her pregnancy ended in the death of the baby, but she has a second child who is Solomon, who becomes the wisest man who ever lived. God's grace rests upon Bathsheba ultimately. So we have all these women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, and one more, Mary. Now, we're Baptists. It really doesn't make a great deal of difference from Sunday to Sunday that we're Baptists. What's great is we get to open up our tank and practice being Baptists. We're going to do that in the new year. We're going to get some people in the water and we'll fully immerse them and plunge them out. We love that bit about being Baptists because it's fun, right? But, here's the thing. One of the problems we have of being Baptists is that along with loads of other evangelicals, we've become so nervous about the Catholics and their particular view of Mary and how high they hold her and some of the things that make us go, ooh, I'm not sure about that, that we've kind of ignored her. Because we're nervous that we end up going down some route that we shouldn't. Mary is to be highly esteemed. She's not to be worshipped, she's not to be prayed to, but she's to be highly esteemed. Because she was probably 14 
certainly around that age. Who's 14 in here? Nobody. But we have a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old. Right? An angel appears. And she says, I will be obedient to what God has asked me to be. I have a 13-year-old. I can't get her to do what I want her to do. Never mind. <laughs> but that's probably because I'm... Anyway. Mary. A simple, beautiful woman who gets named in the genealogy because she gets to give birth to the one who would save the whole world. A simple 14-year-old. We heard the poem earlier. She would suffer greatly as she watched her son die. But she knew his eyes. She had been with Jesus for 33 years. Why am I telling you all this? Why have I made these three lovely folks at the front so embarrassed they're dying sometimes? I'm telling you this because the unexpected thing about Christmas is that God stooped down into all the brokenness and mess of our world to change it all. I'm telling you this because we need to remember the real reason for Christmas is Jesus. And remember that God became a baby. A baby with a story, a past, and a past that saw the excluded included, and a past that was shaped by grace and by mercy. That is the real messy understanding of the unexpected Christmas. It was a pointer to what Jesus was going to do with his life and death and resurrection, which is to offer to us even more radical grace than we could imagine. Do you think Tamar or Rahab ever thought or imagined that their lives would mean that this is where the salvation of the whole world was coming from? No. But God's grace was abundant and able to do that. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. John 3.17 Do you feel worthy this Christmas to be part of God's family? Are you good enough? Are there things in your story that fill you with shame? Do you feel like you don't belong? Do you think you're an outsider? That somehow your category of people are excluded? Well, guess what? This Jesus, God himself, has come into the world for such a person as you. I have not come for the righteous, said Jesus, but to save sinners. We don't use that language very often anymore, sinners. What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything in our culture. It means those of us who have deep brokenness. Those of us who are lost. Those of us who have turned away from God. Those of us who have lost the sense of who we are supposed to be. That is who Jesus has come for. That is what the manger means. It might seem crazy. But it's always meant to be this way. 
This is why Matthew begins the story he wants to tell by telling us the history of Jesus. My question to all of us and to myself, will we accept the radical grace and mercy of Jesus offered to each one of us this Christmas? That's the choice that each one of us has. What will we do with this story? Amen. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one last song. Let's bow our heads. (coughs) Our Father, we thank you that we are welcomed into your family, no matter our background no matter our history, no matter the things we have done or not done, no matter the shame we carry, you have welcomed us in. May we have the courage to accept your grace this morning. That this Christmas we would see that this Christmas we would see that we are loved and welcomed by you. Speak to each one of us about what that means right now. Jesus' name. Amen.